Welcome to the What Next podcast, brought to you by me, Carl Considine. What Next exists to share sober stories with the intention of inspiring change for the better. Whether you're sober, sober curious, or just looking for general life inspiration, we're the podcast for you. Our stories are full of heart and always without judgment. So on today's episode, we've got my good friend, Caroline. Caroline is founder and co-director of Heard Storytelling the spoken stories company that harnesses the power of lived experience to create a positive change. She believes in the importance of people feeling seen and heard, and through the company she's helped give a voice to people through live storytelling events, workshops in storytelling, team building sessions, events, and exhibitions. Wow, what a job, Caroline. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Carl. And I just want to start by saying a huge thank you for inviting me on to this show I'm so proud of you and what you're doing it's really inspiring um you're an absolute natural at this I can't believe you haven't been doing this forever (laughs) stop it and what you're doing and putting out into the world is so important um yeah so thank you feel honored to be on I'm not prepared for this. Well, Don't make me cry at the start of the episode. Well, you told me what questions you're going to ask me and I thought I'd <laughs> surprise you. This is going to be a good conversation. Well, <laughs> um, no, thank you for that. And equally, um, thank you for coming on. So let's get straight to it then. What next is a podcast that shares stories of sobriety, um, all different versions of sobriety. So take us back to, do you remember your first experience having a drink? Ooh, no. My first experiences of drink will have been stealing alcohol from my parents' um, kitchen. It will have been asking people who looked over 18 to buy us alcohol from shops. Mm -hmm. It will have been being able to blag our way into nightclubs from the age of 13. Mm Um. So I don't remember my very first drink, but that's, I started drinking about 13, as did all of my friends that I was hanging out with at school. Mm. We were either, well, actually looking back at it now, maybe this is a naive thing to say, we looked older than we were, but maybe the bouncers just didn't care yeah. <laughs> how old we actually were. Yeah. So we were going out from a young age and it was all about chasing the really fun stories to tell people back at school on Monday on Monday morning like we were the cool girls at school we could get into clubs from an early age we could be drinking we were snogging boys and <laughs> living our best lives that is wild nightclubs at 13 oh my god the things I've done like oh, my parents would go away on holiday I'd throw the biggest wildest parties at my house mm. that's still infamous now I would steal my parents car keys at like the age of 16 17 nick their car and i would be driving my friends into town so we could go on a night out um but the worst was totally lying to my parents about where i would be Mm. sneaking out pretending that i was at my friends having a sleepover we'd actually be down a nightclub and because we were on pocket money or at least (laughs) a saturday job money we had no we had no cash we would be walking to and from the nightclub like 14 15 year old girls walking by themselves throughout night gosh um and then we would do this thing at the end of the evening where we would go around to guys and be like oh can you just lend us a fiver for a taxi home 
and we'd go home with like cash in our pockets but we would we would walk home we won't want to spend the money on taxis so very dangerous uh, yeah. like that we put ourselves in that situation yeah. but i didn't care because i was having what i thought to be like the best time yeah and quite entrepreneurial by the sounds of it. Absolutely, bloody lootly. <laughs> my, From a very young age. I feel very fortunate that my parents never pushed me to go to university or down that route because my parents always knew how entrepreneurial I was. Now, they didn't realise quite how entrepreneurial I was and they never knew any of those stories until very recently. Hmm. And they were very, I mean, I put my poor parents, like they, I grew up in a Christian family. Hmm where Sunday mornings was going to church and I was definitely lying about being at church to them for a couple of years and I, I, I let them down there but we've all made peace with it now and mm. um, they're very supportive of me and, and don't mind the fact that I'm not religious anymore. Mm. So you were clubbing at 13, <laughs> yes. then you left school, then what happened? I left school, I did ski seasons, I went traveling. I honestly, I had a, I'm, I'm completely privileged that growing up in a middle-class family that never had to have too many concerns about money, that I had this safety net. So I feel like I could li live this, um, I could live this life where I went around doing all these things mm. and not have to have too many concerns because my parents would always catch me. That said, I had like moved out of my house by the age of like 17, 18 in with a guy who was not the best guy. I think that my parents honestly just didn't really know what to do with me, but always knew that I would probably land on my feet. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would say my teen years and into my early twenties was quite turbulent. Mm. And during that time, I didn't really have a good relationship with with my parents at all. Um, but I've got a load of good stories out of it that I can remember. The ones I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like it. So what, you left school, you moved in with a boy. Yeah. How did you start to kind of forge your you didn't go to university so how did you yeah. start to kind of work out who you were and, and forge your career um oh i'm only just doing that now <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all so what i realized on reflecting actually when you asked me to come on this podcast i was reflecting about what alcohol my relationship with alcohol and i feel like i should be very clear right at the beginning i'm not completely sober i just have cut down mm. loads mm. i've gone from drinking a lot to you i mean i'll have a glass of champagne at a friend's wedding so i want to want to be clear that i've not completely cut out everything um but what i realized reflecting on before i came on this podcast about my kind of why and my reasoning um is that for a large part of my teens and 20s and into my early 30s i was totally striving for fleeting happiness and mm. i was striving to have connections which weren't deep um and my relationship that I was in in my late teens with this guy was all because he was just giving me these like highs and lows these highs and lows and that just was a pattern that has followed me around for many many years afterwards mm. I mean this is skipping forward quite a bit but what cutting out alcohol has allowed me to do is to get quiet with myself and realize that I need to just strive for contentment rather than happiness. Mm. 
Mm. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So what did, when you talk about, I think it's really important that, um, you mentioned that you're not totally sober and I have known you for what about a year and a half maybe. Yeah. And you've been sober that, well, yeah. 99% sober, sober that whole time. Yeah. Soberish, <laughs> sober curious, whatever the right language is. But I think there's something really important in this distinction that is, it doesn't have to be binary, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. And quite often, I think people are considering their relationship with alcohol and considering maybe the impact that it has or some of the consequences and whether that's worth it. But where people struggle with making a change is this perception or this feeling that you have to, it's all or nothing, you have to abstain or you're just in the drinking game. And it that's almost like setting someone up to fail, isn't it? Because as human beings saying to ourselves, okay, I'm never going to do this thing ever again. That's too big. That That's absolutely huge. Whereas if it's a reframe of I'm not going to do it today or I'm going to do it less, I think there's something really powerful in that. And I think the outcome actually ends up being more positive anyway because you've been sober for, what, like 18 months yeah. and you can count what on both hands how many times you've had yeah. a drink so yeah. it's drastically changed right oh it's hugely changed and this is kind of how i fall into a lot of things that i've done which are good for me or good for good whatever good means but so for example i'm a vegetarian ish like i will occasionally treat myself and and have a steak <laughs> she goes hard when she goes home <laughs> and she likes her steak blue um <laughs> But I think that it, whenever I try and do anything where I'm like, I'm 100% doing this or mm. that, I fail. Everybody fails. If, you, mm. if someone tells you, no, you can't do something, you're like, watch me. Mm. Well, I know that I definitely am anyway. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's I never even planned to be sober-ish. Um, I just had a horrendous hangover was incredibly anxious at the time with work and thought, okay, something has to give here. And the the give can be not having hangovers every Saturday and Sunday. Mm. Let's just see what that's like. So I just tried it for a month and here we are 18 mm. months later. Mm. Um, and help us to understand that kind of, gap between the two then so you've got to a place of being comfortable with I don't drink maybe at an event or for a special occasion I might have a drink but prior to that and prior to that day where you'd made that personal choice what was your drinking behavior like what did drinking look like for you it was always sociable I'm fortunate enough not to um have an addiction or or anything like that uh, I didn't really drink at home or anything. And I also like being in control. I like being in control of a lot of situations. So I was never completely losing myself. And never is too binary, actually. I did obviously occasionally would completely lose myself. But I, it was just, it was just an unhealthy habit where I would wake up pretty regularly on like a, 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning, Sunday morning with just not feeling my best. Mm. Um, and a lot of my friends would work in the hospitality industry. It's goes with the territory in the hospitality industry that you're going to go for drinks after work. Mm. Um, so for me, what it was like was really trying to fit in with a crowd with certain people and just keeping up. Mm. And in addition to that, I have for a long time, and I think many, there's probably 99% of people are quite obsessed with what people think of me. I'm quite obsessed with what I have been in the past, very preoccupied with what people's perceptions of me are. Right. And the stories that I wanted to portray about myself and the stories that I would tell them and the stories I would live up to would be this fun time gal, like always up for a laugh, always up for just saying yes and let's do it. Think about the consequences later. So mm. alcohol went hand in hand in that. Like, yeah, sure, why not? It's a Tuesday night. Let's go out. Like, come on, don't be boring. Let's all go out. <laughs> um, that was my relationship with alcohol. Mm. Why do you think when you say you it was a tool or a mechanism for you to feel like you had a role or to feel like you fit in? Yeah. Why do you think that was? Why was I why was I wanting to try and fit in? Yeah, yeah. Because because I hadn't learned to love myself really that's what it comes down to when you're trying when your life is around trying to impress people um it's because you're trying to get external validation mm. from from any any source which isn't just getting quiet with yourself and listening to yourself right mm. um it's interesting when i am working with individuals on shaping a story for for something that we're doing for herd storytelling we always start with the question of why like why are you telling the story what is the purpose of it what are you wanting your audience to take away from it or understand it could be that somebody wants to come across as being particularly courageous or ambitious or maybe they're trying to um highlight a, a particular cause or a person or a purpose so we ask people their why and when I start questioning myself as to my why am I doing all these things I realize it's for all this external validation which is mm. just complete bullshit mm. and did drinking give you that at the time drinking was part of it right it wasn't the be on end all at all. And I would get fleeting validation. Mm. I mean, a classic example of this, which probably a lot of people can resonate with is going on a night out with the purpose to try and find a romantic partner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not talking about one night stands here. I'm talking about, I would go out and be like, maybe tonight is the night that I find the one. Mm. 
and I would be looking for that in like a bar and I would, you know, having these fleeting, like very heightened romantic moments in my life. Like I often joke with my friends that I could write a book, which is called a hundred men I've loved and lost. (laughs) And it would be hilarious. I'd like to read it. Maybe one day I'll record it. (laughs) I'll record it. I'll write it. Um, And so I would have these moments, I'd have these heightened moments, but because I wasn't comfortable in myself and hadn't learned to love myself, they were only fleeting because that's really when somebody, I would have very intense romantic partners who then a few months into it, when I started letting my walls down, started being really vulnerable, really showing them me, they were like, oh, this isn't the fun time, Caroline, Mm. that I just met or the... Someone once described me as being like a Capri's cream egg, which was like shiny and hard on the outside and then like super gooey in the middle. And so lots of people would meet this shiny, hard outside bit. Mm. And then the gooey bit came through, but that's not what you were wanting. That's not what you signed up for. Then of course you're going to (laughs) run away from it. You're going to find that out and maybe that's not what... Um, not what you were expecting or, or wanting. Exactly. Um, I think it's it's really interesting because there are like roles that we play or different kind of hats and masks that we wear, right? When we're, I definitely, I really identify with drinking. Drinking was always problematic for me, but for a long time, I didn't think drinking was problematic. I thought I was just good time, Carl, and there was always this kind of narrative and undertone of, oh, it's just Carl, like he's the wild one. He's the one that never wants to go home at the end of the night. He'll be the one that wants to kind of dance on a table or do something ridiculous, you know, go off with a random group of strangers, all of these different things. And um, to an extent, it was a role that I was playing, you know, I was putting alcohol and drugs in my body to feel better and then I would seek connection and validation from other people and usually actually it wasn't the people in my close circle it wasn't the people that I knew it'd be people strangers in bars and clubs that I didn't know I wanted to be like this impressive wild funny person and it sounds really contrived and like that was in my mind the whole time I was on a night out or, but it kind of wasn't, that's just naturally how I acted. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this is sounding exactly like me. Do you know, like the class oh, idiot yeah. type thing, like this is the, at school I was always, like I'd be getting into trouble, but it would be because I was trying to make people laugh. Yeah. I was trying to be the entertainer <laughs> and like what I learned for me, and I'm not saying this is your experience, but that was obviously coming from a much deeper place of, of self-worth, self-acceptance, all of these different things. And drinking was a tool and a mechanism for me for me to be able to get that validation, even though to your point, it's totally fleeting, right? Yeah. Because once that night out is over, the validation's gone and, you know, nobody's really thinking about it. It's not like I've not been validated as a human. I don't feel better as a result of it. I probably feel ridiculous the next day because of some of the stupid things that I did. Um, Not saying that you did lots of stupid things, but yeah, I really identify with that, like playing a role and being a specific person, but 
in reality behind closed doors without the booze and without the mask just being a very different person mm-hmm. oh well what you've just said speaks true to to my experience 100 percent um yeah these fleeting moments fleeting friendships mm. it's not until the shit hits the fan that you find out who your true friends are as well mm. and i had so many connections with people who i look at them now with total love for the time that we had together but they weren't there for for the real me and and i take responsibility for that because i wasn't really showing my true self Mm. i wasn't showing my vulnerabilities so they were only showing up for the side of me that i was putting forward right yeah they weren't seeing the whole version of Caroline. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So you had this moment where going back to kind of the catalyst and, mm-hmm. you know, one day thinking, I'm hungover. I don't want this anymore. I don't like feeling shitty. I'm assuming that wasn't the first moment that you'd had thoughts like that. It no. wasn't like an overnight thing. So. When did you start to realize that maybe booze wasn't serving you and and you wanted to try something different or you wanted to change? I've given up alcohol periodically for like a month here and there, you know, like dry Januarys and whatnot Mm. for ages. Like I said, like giving, I'm lucky enough that giving up alcohol for me is not the hard, has not been a hard thing for me. Mm. So I have tried it like on a, on a few occasions the the hard part okay so for me alcohol isn't the problem the hard part is getting quiet with myself Mm. and really learning to accept and love myself Mm. alcohol whatever substance abuse or anything when uh, anything else Mm. whether that's you know just having a fleeting romantic thing with somebody that you don't really like that much or accepting a job or a certain situation you're in with a group of friends or whatnot or or anything the reason that you're saying yes and going along with it is because you haven't really learned to know and love yourself yeah that's the hard part yeah so how do you do that you've mentioned a couple of times getting quiet with yourself oh no i I keep on using that expression yeah i I like the expression do you know why it's because i am such a a loud person (laughs) (laughs) i think that my friends would describe me as being very vivacious very um which i am Mm. i am an extrovert all of these things which by the way I know that those are things that people don't like about me and it's taken me a long time to accept that those are actually things that I really like about myself. Mm. For many years, I was like, oh, if I could only be a, like shrink myself a bit more, if I may, maybe I'm too much, like all of these things that it's taken in the last like couple of years of really doing work to go, actually, do you know what? I like that I'll just burst into song like i know that probably annoys some people but that's okay that's who you are that's who i am yeah um so what that has looked like in the last couple of years is um inner child work Mm. learning to love little caroline comfort little caroline um that's that was hard that was hard work to do but 
God, it's paying off. Mm. Um, How do you do the work? I actually work. I worked with with somebody trained in it who was who was teaching me through the process. What it looks like now is got a little screensaver on my phone, picture of little Caroline. Mm. When I'm giving myself a hard time, there's my there's a little picture of me, and I'm like, would I be having a go at this three year old that's like beaming and smiling? And telling, you know, when you're having those days and you're like, oh, so shit, you're so crap at these things. You can't do this work. You can't achieve this thing. You can't strive for that. And then I look at this little three-year-old and I'm like, yeah, you can. Come on, you can do anything. Amazing. I believe in you. You're brave. You're strong. So a lot of inner child work, it um, has meant being very honest with friends. It has meant naturally um losing some friendships or not having as some friends as close to me as they used to be um and then oh i've got well into my woo woo wellness life (laughs) (laughs) i love that i I know if 15 year old caroline could see me on my it was my birthday in october and what i did was go celebrated my birthday by going for a cold dip and then going to do breath work and then going to a yin yoga class nice <laughs> and then nice. went to karaoke <laughs> living your best spiritual I life i know i know so but it's working right getting into my body rather than my head and yeah yeah so what has the we've touched on um kind of heard storytelling yes. and um maybe it might be helpful to say that's kind of how we were we were introduced through a fitness class, but um, <laughs> heard storytelling is is basically the reason why the What Next podcast exists. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit around kind of heard storytelling, how it started out, why it started out. So that question back to you: What's the why? Okay, so um, by the way, what a privilege it was for you to be included in one of our exhibitions that we did so i'm really pleased that you were part of that and that it helped be a catalyst Mm. for this podcast um heard storytelling i started it back in 2017 and it was my answer to everything that went on in 2016 um politically around the world so you had brexit trump it just became very apparent how much we're not listening to each other anymore. Mm. And so what I wanted to do is start nuanced conversations. And so I used my loud personality (laughs) (laughs) to demand that people got into a room and started talking. So no, what I did was I put a microphone in the back room of a pub and asked people from all walks of life to come and tell their story. And people did, they showed up and listen to each other and learn from each other and create a deeper connections. Mm. That's how it started off. Um, and now it has evolved into a spoken stories company where we will, we can, we do all sorts of different things. We still have our live events. Our live events are now curated. So they are providing a voice for people who don't normally have their, their voices heard. So we have events highlighting women, people from the LGBTQIA plus community um all sorts of different minorities Mm. etc um so we have that we have a 
a workshop in how to tell an amazing story. We work with individuals, companies on how to tell stories. We put on we put on these exhibitions um, that bring people's stories out into the world in new wonderful ways to new different audiences. And right at the heart of all of that is creating connection, mm. creating community, um, which I love. Mm. It's my baby. I'm so proud of it. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, the campaign that I did with you guys on the Proud campaign, so yeah. that was last August for Manchester Pride. And um, yeah, the reason why I say it was such a big step in my journey and the journey with the podcast now existing is because it helped me to... So the premise was people sharing stories from the queer community, right? And you helped me to condense my story of addiction into... Uh, a five six minute audio clip that was part of the exhibition that was out in the public domain and and anyone could listen to and I was at that point just over a year and a half into sobriety and I thought I was fine and I was fine but I'd realized that the only way that I ever really talked in depth around my addiction and my story, which is the whole the whole point of her storytelling, right, was in AA meetings, in fellowship meetings, or just with people in my life that I was very close with. Um, I still wasn't open about it at work. I wasn't particularly open about it with... I don't even think you knew my story at, at, until we got together to no. do this campaign. I, I was shocked. Yeah, yeah. And I think credit to what you've created because I went into that process terrified of um, speaking so openly um, about my experience and I realize now looking back that that's because I was still hanging on to quite a lot of shame which was associated with um, being an addict and you know the perceptions of what an addict are and um, going back to roles that you know we play and um, kind of putting on these different hats and masks even in sobriety I was still doing that a little bit so to take away the booze and the drugs actually I still had some of that behavior which was trying to present a version of myself um, so yeah what the campaign gave me was liberation like total liberation and the ability to let go of shame, let go of my past. And, you know, the day the campaign went live and I rang you just in tears and um, you, were, I'm sure you were like, what the hell's going on? Are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. I'm just, I didn't realize that this was such a big step in my healing process. And um, I guess getting to the point, it, that really spurred me on to want to create something in the spirit of what you had created, which was when you hear other people's stories, people identify and connect with that, right? It creates connection, it creates community. And then as a result of that, it it drives positive change or hopefully it will drive positive change. Um, so yeah, thank you to you as well, because that has been... Um, a massive catalyst for what exists today with what oh. next and the reason why we're sat having this conversation on the sofa um it's getting quiet with yourself it, it it's that stuff that you're talking about thank you 
Thank you so much. Now it's my turn to get all emotional. (laughs) I think what we've touched on a lot during our conversation is um, we've both spent the majority of our lives wanting to be seen, Mm. wanting to be heard. And when when you really can just listen to somebody and you hold them, isn't that just the best feeling? Mm. It's the best feeling. It's like, it's why, it's, that's what love is. Mm. It's real, Re- isn't it? It's real. Mm. And friendships I've created in the last couple of years have got so much depth to them. And we show up and really hear each other. It's mm. just, it's beautiful. Um, and I think for such a long time, I was so striving to be seen and heard in such the wrong ways. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and being part of that exhibition. You, you, I mean, you are a natural storyteller. Um, Stop it. This isn't a self-promotion episode. Yes, it is. No, it's not. You no, pay me not. later. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, talk to me about, you know, you've been very honest. You're not, you're not saying you were an addict or, you know, you had certain drinking behaviors that were kind of stemmed from a version of Caroline that you were trying to present um, and you were able to stop really without any difficulty. Yeah. Um, But there must be, I'm still kind of just curious around experiences that you have out in a society and in a world where, Drinking is just part of our culture, right? It's what you do after work. It's what you do if you go on a date. It's what you do for a friend's birthday. You go to a wedding, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. um, maybe you have the odd glass of champagne here and there. But yeah, I'm curious to hear about your experiences in a world where drink exists to the extent that it does as a person who's 99% sober. I love that you painted a picture of me as being the only thing she drinks is champagne. <laughs> <laughs> That's the energy you give in. It really is. I think it's just because I got a Southern accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's totally it. Um, how is it for me? I mean, friends get very annoying after a few drinks. That's mm. quite irritating. Um, <laughs> I've really been able to notice when I'm wanting to have a drink I wanted to have a drink at the end of this week just gone. I was sat in a bar with my mate and I was like, just want a fucking glass of red wine. And I, I'm able to catch myself and be like, it's because I'm stressed and I've had a stressy week. Yeah. It's not because I really want to have a glass of wine. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. Whereas before it would be like, let's get a bottle in. Lol. Um, when I have had a drink, it will be a very positive, a positive reason for it. Like, when I was I was lucky enough to be able to go on holiday to Mexico, I'm sat on a beach, the sun's going down. And I'm like, I'm going to have a margarita. I had a margarita. I had one margarita on holiday. It was lovely. Mm. I remember that mar- one margarita. Mm. I was on holiday for two and a half weeks. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. And it was a positive, it was a positive experience of it. Mm. Um, restrained. Restrained. Yeah. yeah. And also I've just learned that I don't really need alcohol to be fun. Did you think that you did? Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, because it's the only thing that I knew, right? Um, so being sober around people who aren't hasn't been too much of an issue for me. Luckily, Mm. I say luckily, it's 
massively in part to the fact that by um by chance or maybe not by chance just because of the way how I'm living my life now I've brought in more friends into my life that also don't drink or mm. don't drink very much or it's not a big part of their personality so there's that so if I go on a night out I was on a night out yesterday with my friend and we didn't drink anything and it just wasn't even an issue yeah um so there's that um I feel very confident in myself now so not feeling the pressure to be fun Caroline drinking um but there are definitely situations where I mean people can be very annoying when they're drunk like friends mm. can be really annoying when they're drunk and I've been in more than one situation in the last couple of years when I've really tuned in to like the shit people say when they're like when they've let their guard down yeah. it's just not very nice so there's yeah. been times and it's like ouch because I'm going to remember what you said in the morning and you're not and you're going to laugh it off and it's hurting me right so there's definitely been those moments yeah um and but I yeah so I'm fortunate enough that it hasn't been an issue for me but then as I say like I've just surrounded myself with lovely people I think that's key to it for people who are maybe getting sober curious or listening to this and thinking could this be me um I and but they are aware that the people that they hang around with there is a massive drink culture mm. I don't envy those people because I think that that would be really really hard but it's not impossible no in any tough, way shape, any way shape or form and, and and to speak to that as well the people who love you will not care they will not give a flying fuck if you are drinking or not drinking exactly preach as they say <laughs> yeah no it's hard and it's interesting that you point out I don't know how it happens and I don't want to scare listeners off with language like law of attraction, but <laughs> you know, you do just end up being around people that are, are different to what you've experienced previously. And, you know, it, I could never imagine a world where I would be clubbing sober and, you know, my drinking and drug use revolved a lot around going out towards the end it was just me at home by myself in isolation but it was always bars clubs after club after party you know going to these venues and places and finding oblivion um not just in drinking drugs but in the music in the crowd in the environment all of that stuff and it was a massive blocker for me getting sober for a long time because I thought that my experiences of going clubbing were so much more important than my health. I couldn't get sober because I didn't want to lose those experiences. And I guess it comes down to, I must have found like some sort of connection there that was fulfilling me. But I never imagined I'd be able to go out clubbing. And now, you know, you and I have been to massive club nights and danced to techno all night with a bottle of water and just had the best time. Yeah. And, and I no think, hangover the next and day. And no hangover. Yeah. Usually smug really as tired. You like. Yeah. <laughs> feeling smug, feeling tired, feeling very hungry. Like I always feel really hungry now when I go clubbing. Um, but I think that's really, yeah, I'd like to just talk about that a little bit more because I think that's really illuminating for people that perhaps are sober curious. Questions that I often get asked are, and in fact, when I did the Proud campaign, I remember someone coming up to me. I was out on Canal Street. I was dancing away. Obviously, I was totally sober. And a chap came to speak to me. And his first question was, he said that he'd listened to my story 
And his first question was, but how do you go out? Do you not feel awkward when you're dancing? And I won't lie, the first few times I went out, I did feel awkward. Like, especially when you're surrounded by people who are drinking, Mm. it feels weird and it's counterintuitive to, if you're used to being pissed and having a dance and letting loose, it doesn't just come overnight, but now it doesn't cross my mind. I know, isn't it amazing? We go out and we dance and we actually remember it. We're there for the music. You make different connections with people. Um, So, yeah, I think it's really important to shine the spotlight on that because I think uh, particularly people in social circles and, you know, we live in Manchester City Centre, that is a deterrent for a lot of people thinking that they're not, they wouldn't be able to go out basically. Absolutely. Um, I went to the White Hotel and for listeners that don't know the White Hotel, it is this dingy nightclub in the back end of Salford, which is just like, heavy electronic music it's wild but I went there for the first time sober the other day and I was like whoa I can't believe that I'm in this space sober I don't know if something psychosomatic kicked in but (laughs) I was like feeling very high even though I hadn't drunk anything hadn't taken anything Um, but if the music's good and the crowd is good and you're feeling comfortable in yourself Mm. it does not matter at Mm. all and the benefits to waking up the next day and being able to get up and have a normal day are just amazing Amazing, yeah but I have to say credit to my mum Gillian Dyer she I was talking to the other day on the phone about how I'd gone out dancing maybe dancing with you actually Mm. and um my mum was like and I said to her thank you because you're the person my mum would always get up and start dancing she didn't mind where she was like and she's a very good dancer Mm. And so I would just copy her. And I was like, thank you so much for giving that to me, that confidence of just loving your body and expressing it however way you can. And my mum, my mum just turned around to me and she was like, well, you give it everything you got or what's the point? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And I love that your mum gets a full name mention every time you mention her as well. I do that a lot of the time. A lot of people I know, I give them the first and last name. (laughs) I love that. Name check them. Uh, good old Jilly babes. Good old Jillian. So uh. <laughs> what about, um, we talked about clubbing and um, I wanted to ask you about dating and purely because you have kind of mentioned a few mm-hmm. times going out when you were younger and when you were going out drinking, you'd often be going out to find some sort of romantic connection. Yeah. And yeah, what does that look like now? Has that changed? Do you date much? And how is that as a as a sober experience? Because again, I think that's another thing that as a sober person can, mm. can feel a little bit clunky and a little bit awkward. Yeah, for sure. And going on my like first couple of dates that I went on were complete, completely sober were challenging. And I would skew it so that we were doing something that didn't involve alcohol. Like, let's go for a walk mm. or whatnot. Um, so yeah, that is definitely a challenge, but one of the things that I really learned about myself, which is the hugest surprise to myself and my friends, I imagine, who've known me for years. And it's always Caroline with like the dramatic love stories, like (laughs) going back to like visit friends back in Bournemouth. They'd be like, so who are you dating? Tell us the gossip was kind of default. I am now at a place where... I've really realized the thing I was chasing for was this society's idea of what love was, right? 
And I've just really realized that I have so much love in my life from my friends, from my family, from doing my work with Heard Storytelling. I have all of this incredible things, which by the way, is like, if you look back and, and any wise person from like yonder year always talks about how the highest form of love is a brotherly love. Scriptures talk about loving your neighbor. They talk about loving your, your friends, mm. being good to your environment, to your community. It's only in the last couple of hundred years that we've put romantic love on a pedestal. Mm. Um, and which is, is, I mean, even Plato, who named all the different types of love, said that this Eros love was was really not the highest form because it makes you do stupid things. Mm. <laughs> and you're not feeling and you're thinking clearly. Mm. Um, so I really just, I've just really embo- embodied that idea that I'm full of love already. Mm. So I don't need to find, don't, the need is gone. If it happens, it happens. But that need to go out and find romantic connections, mm. it's just, I don't know, it's just fallen away. It just doesn't seem that important anymore. And I'm so content with all the love that I have in my life already that, sure, I'll go out and date people, um, but it's taken away that anxiety of needing to be coupled up by a certain age where there's a huge pressure on that of your woman, right? Even more so. Um, It's just been removed from me. And that is such a feeling of bliss Mm. because for decades I had been wanting to find the one and have this idea of what love should be. But I already, I didn't realize I already had all of the love and I was full already. That's incredible. That's amazing. And I guess there are there are a couple of angles to that, right, then, because you're not your starting position isn't your motivation isn't I need this thing in my life yeah. and at all costs I'm gonna put myself out there until I find this thing in a certain way. And the thing doesn't exist, right, that you're looking for. No. Um so you're doing it less, but then I think there's also the play that when you go on dates with that newly kind of reframed energized mindset, you're more comfortable with what you're looking for and Mm -hmm. with your decision making. And I've certainly found in sober dating, it's so different in that when I was in kind of drinking drugs, I would jump in bed with anyone. You know, if I was going on a date, that's how it would end nine times out of ten. And I'd get a bit of an unhealthy obsession and usually it'd be over within a few days and then kind of on to the next thing. Whereas now, you know, I go on a date and it's not, it's a two-way process. I'm thinking about what that person can bring to my life also, not just me begging for acceptance and validation and I'll be your perfect partner, but what are my needs and what are my boundaries and what are my desires? So it's more, you know, without sounding too egotistical, like it's a two-way street, right? And I'm much more clear on what I want. And now nine times out of 10, a first date doesn't go anywhere because I'm really clear on what those things are. (laughs) Same for me. 
Amazing. And also, I would just be rather doing other things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like cold water dipping. Like cold water dipping. Chanting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but, but, but sure. I mean, like it is one of the things that I thought about a lot and I've been thinking about a lot in the last couple of years is what motivates me Mm. what gets me really excited and it used to be like I'd be very motivated to try and find a person or have this romantic thing or what now actually what really motivates me what gets my like heart racing super excited or super angry super motivated is things such as champion championing championing (laughs) what motivates me is being able to speak properly (laughs) not (laughs) say and be able to say the word championing correctly so um what motivates me is being able to champion human rights particularly women's rights Mm. particularly being able to use um my the pure fortune i had which was to be born into a family in the uk never had to want for anything be able to use my complete good luck and fortune to be able to champion for other people Mm. that's the stuff that motivates me and when i was out drinking and or doing any of this stuff and having hangovers i'd wake up the next day and i'd feel unmotivated now i wake up and i'm like great today is another day i get to work on herd storytelling and i get to be able to put out people's voices into the world that's what i love yeah so it's just really switching my view as to um what are the most important things for me yeah how you spend your time what's your purpose yeah back to your question what's your why what's your why yeah absolutely and my why isn't dating another useless person i mean (laughs) poor useless people (laughs) (laughs) um what's also very interesting in the last couple of years is saying yes to dating women as well oh okay which i wasn't doing before right um before what before before i got you know this quiet thing that i keep talking about Um, before I just shut that side down on me because it, it wasn't part of my script. It wasn't part of my story. Interesting. And then opened my eyes to being like, it was almost like a permission slip. I was like, oh, I am attracted to women. I have always been attracted to women. So why don't I date women? Mm. Oh yeah. Okay. I guess I could do that. Mm. So I'm now that this is the scariest thing about dating for me sober is because I've got no crutch to fall back on and dating women feels like I was 14 like when I was 14 going right. on dates for the first time with guys because right. I'm going on dates with women for the first time I get all of that anxiety about like you know oh, in a way that I don't get with guys because I and I know how to date guys I know how to go on a first date with guys I'm very good at it mm. I've had practice <laughs> Dating women feels like I'm going into a whole new territory, not least for the fact that if I go on dates with a woman versus a man, nine times out of 10, I know that that person and I are going to have really super interesting chats. And this is not, not hashtag not all men, but I just find that the majority of women I meet are far more interesting and have far more things to say for themselves than the majority of men. Ooh. Not all men. Ah! Take okay. from that what you will. 
no comment no comment <laughs> Definitely not all men. And definitely, you know that I've got lots of queer men, male friends. So when I'm saying men, I'm talking about straight men that I would go on a date with. Mm, mm. So this, you're having a journey <laughs> so of exploration. I feel intimidated by knowing that I'm probably going to have a, you know, meet somebody that's really brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully. Hopefully. One day. Okay. But that's not what you're looking for because no, you've got for... in peace and you've yeah. got happiness. <laughs> Right. I feel like I'm going to get a lot of hate for what I just said then. In my experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say to people who perhaps are listening and are not experiencing problems with drink or drugs uh, to an addictive level or, you know, maybe people are just kind of thinking about their relationship or considering their relationship with alcohol and or drugs. Do you have any advice? What would you say to those people? What I would say is just try it for one day. Mm. Try it for one day. If that feels good, try it for another couple of days. Don't put pressure on yourself. Don't beat yourself up if like a couple of weeks into it, you're out and you have a drink. Just start you know start again the next day like mm. i think we live in very binary times and there's another reason that i set up heard storytelling is because of cancel culture and how once you declare something you put yourself out into the world i mean we talked about this already but once you declare i'm not drinking anymore and then you fail at it then you can just give up yeah you can just feel like oh i've given up now um so i would say don't beat yourself up. You don't don't need to shame yourself. See how it feels. You don't need to, you know, test the waters with things. Mm. Yeah. It's it's um it's easier than you think it's gonna be. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. <sighs> so Caroline, what next for you? What next for me now? Mm. Not right now in this yeah, I was second. Say. <laughs> Philosophically. <laughs> Philosophically, what next? I will be continuing to grow herd storytelling. I will be continuing to try and live as authentically as possible mm. and doing what I can to keep raising people's voices out into the world. Um, I'm going to celebrate with a bottle of Dom Perignon. <laughs> Stop <laughs> joking, it. I'm joking. Stop. Nice. Um, Caroline, it has been such a pleasure chatting and um, I think there's a real power in taking this back to the why. My takeaway from this conversation is definitely in this space of things don't need to be binary, right? And as a society, we often approach things in a binary manner, like things are quite black and white. Um and they don't need to be like that, you know. And I think if people can listen to this episode and maybe think about a different relationship with alcohol that perhaps isn't fully quitting, that's so powerful. And just to hear the lightness that you bring to some of the experiences that we have in life around dating, going out, clubbing, socialising, all of these things. But the fact that you've still found your quietness with yourself and your inner peace as a result of your journey and as a result of changing your relationship with alcohol, 
I think that's so powerful. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on and for having that conversation. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Gorge. And where can people hear more about herd storytelling? You can find us on uh, Instagram, herd storytelling. And we've also got a website as well of the same name. Um, Come down. If you are based in Manchester, we have regular events that happen. Um, Yeah, just follow us. Check out what, what we're doing. Nice. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you got something from it. What Next is recorded at Stave Studios, which is at Stave underscore studio on Insta. If you want to get in touch with me through Insta, it's at whatnext.podcast. Or you can email me at carl at whatnextpodcast.co.uk. For new episodes, subscribe on all the main podcast platforms. I'd love it if you can also leave us a review as this will help us to reach more people. Remember, if you're thinking of quitting or have recently quit, you're not alone. So keep listening for What's Next.